0: Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Um, Hey, thank you for being with us. We're studying through the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 1, and we've spent a couple of weeks now doing day 2 and day 3 of creation Today we're going to get into day four of creation and day five. And I want to try to settle some argument that's been going on for a few years now. I want to try to handle a war that's been going on between faith and science. And I really think that God's people got suckered into this war. Like we didn't ask for it, but we got drawn into it. And there has been this battle going back and forth between faith and science now for many decades. This is a sermon today where we're going to discuss the creation of the universe. We're going to discuss the stars and the animals and the plants and the fish. And I just want to give a disclaimer right up front. Listen, I'm no biologist. I am no cosmologist. But I have been able to study origins at the highest levels because God has given me the privilege of learning from the queen of the sciences learning theology at the PhD level, and everything that I believe about the universe that we're in, it all comes from the Bible. It all comes actually from one chapter of the Bible. It comes from what we're going to look at today in Genesis. It comes from day four, day five, day six of creation. And I hope that today's sermon ministers to you, because I really think, here's where we're going to go with this whole sermon, I really think that for Christians who have been in this constant battle with science, it's time for men and women of faith to declare a ceasefire with science, and to just simply say, hey, there is obviously the laws of science, and we're not going to try to argue them away, but the laws of science cannot explain the way that the universe works. It can help us understand it, But it can't explain it. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you today is that science has been at war with faith for a long time. And that war is probably going to continue. But men and women of faith, you don't have to go to war with science anymore. If you just properly understand the words of Genesis chapter one. There is absolutely nothing that science can say that can shake my foundations in the creator of the universe and the world that we see around us. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, you feel the exact same way about it. By the time this is over with, you feel like I am absolutely convinced that there is a great God in heaven and everything in this universe was created by him and it belongs to him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use three very deliberate statements today. The sentences are the sentence that I say are actually going to be a little bit awkward, but they're awkward on purpose. And what I want you to do is just hang with me, will you church? Because if I had my way, we would spend about 30 weeks just studying through one chapter of the book of Genesis, this first chapter. But I know that you would tap out a long time before we're done. So I've put day four and day five of creation into one sermon i really wish we had time to do about 10 sermons on these verses today but i want us to look at day four of creation first And here's what I really hope that you'll do today. I hope that you will recognize that the stars that shine in God's summer sky, they're there because God put them there. And if you notice, I made it very intentional so that you couldn't miss it, that that sky itself belongs to God, not just the stars that are in that sky. See, I think sometimes what I've heard from other pastors and theologians is they try to defend the Bible by making it say something that it really doesn't say. And when they do that, they're manipulating the words of the Bible to try to fit their theology. And here's the truth, when pastors and theologians do that, they sound like morons and they ignore the very obvious facts of science. But at the same time, I think they make God less powerful. So we're just going to let the scriptures speak for themselves today. Y'all okay with that? And we're going to look at science and creation. And is it possible that these two things can both be right at the same time? That's the question that I'm going to try to answer today. Is it possible that the laws of science are true, but what we read in Genesis chapter 1 is also true, and both of those can be true at the exact same time? And my answer to that question is yes. Not only is it possible, but it's absolutely certain If you understand the words that are written in the Bible for us today, you see that sky that we look into at night, that sky itself belongs to God. And all of those features of the universe that you can see with the naked eye, everything that you can see with the telescope, even that James Webb telescope that they parked in the farthest corners of space, everything that it sees belongs to the creator of the universe. And here's what the Bible says. It starts the fourth day of creation in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 14. And here's how the Bible describes the sun, the moon, and don't miss this phrase, all the stars in the sky. Here's how the Bible begins. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights, plural, in the expanse of the sky. To separate the day from the night. Now, God's already created a light. That light was the first act of creation back on day two. Now he's creating many lights, plural. This is what the Bible says next. They, the lights in the sky, will serve as signs for seasons. Say the word seasons out loud. This is a really, really important word. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. Now, it almost looks like Moses, the guy who wrote this passage in the Bible, just included that phrase, as well as the stars, as kind of an afterthought. That's a really, really big deal for us today. He made the sun, the greater light, the moon, the lesser light, and by the way, he also made all of the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light, where? On the earth. earth. Thank you, James. To provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, then morning, the fourth day. Now, what the Bible is doing here is describing the creation of the solar system and the universe. And there really is no need for Christians at this point to fight against what you're reading in the Bible. But there's also no need, and I'm absolutely convinced of this, to fight against the immutable, unchangeable laws of science. Here's why I believe that to be true. Because God created the universe to function in such a way that there is order and predictability. He also created it in such a way that you and I could see his handiwork in creation. I said it just a moment ago. The guy who write this, wrote this passage, his name is Moses. Moses gets these words directly from God. And I need to remind you who Moses is writing to. He's not writing to aliens. He's writing to people that are standing on planet Earth. And he is writing to explain what they can see with their own eyes. And Moses is using very specific words here. And I should remind you, that words have meaning, and the pastors and theologians that try to distort these words to make it fit their meaning or their theology are doing great harm. They're molesting what the Bible is really saying here. Moses deliberately doesn't use the common phrase of the day to refer to the greater light and the lesser light. Moses knew that if I were to use the regular words that people use in my day to that, it would possibly lead you to worship creation instead of the creator. Because Moses came out of a country that worshiped the sun god. And all of the pagan neighbors around Moses worshiped the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so Moses used words that could not be mistaken to worship the sun itself, but only could be used to describe the greater light, the lesser light, the creator of those lights. And by the way, people do the exact same thing today in 2023, that they were doing in Moses's day. Don't believe me? Go read the horoscope on the news today and you'll hear people worshiping creation instead of the creator. Moses says, God put a sun in the sky. God put a moon in the sky and he did that to light up the earth. And all of us were like, yep, I'm right there with you. But did you notice what Moses says next? He also put the stars in the sky. And then he says, he put them there as signs to mark the seasons. You realize that this phrase means you can literally set your watch to the predictability of the sun and the moon and the stars. You can set your calendar by it because God made it with order and predictability so that you can basically set time to follow it. And here's what he's saying. There is universes out there, or there are galaxies out there across the universe that are millions and billions of light years away from our earth. And Moses is saying, of course they're out there. And you can see those from right here on earth. And here's what science has done. And I think Christians have been lulled into this without even paying attention and without even recognizing the danger of what science is doing here. Science measures distance in the the solar system and in the universe by time. We measure it using light years. And we say, hey, those stars that you can see, they're millions of light years away. Those galaxies, they may be billions of light years away. And what scientists therefore naturally assume is if they're millions or billions of light years away, then the universe must be millions or billions of years old. No, it doesn't. In fact, I am absolutely convinced that star that you see really is millions of light years away. And I am equally convinced that this earth is only 10 12,000 years old, and God made it all in six literal days, and he made it about 10 or 12,000 years ago. And if you're scratching your head, it's because science has deceived you into believing that because it's millions of light years away, the universe must be millions of years old. That's a leap in logic. What if it's possible that Moses is saying God created it He created it millions of light years away and he pulled the light here so that on day four of creation, you could already see it. In other words, Moses is writing to people standing on planet earth and they can see those stars in the sky on day four, day five, and day six. And of course those stars are millions of light years away. The math is unavoidable, but I also believe that doesn't mean that the universe is millions of years old. It just means that God pulled that light onto planet earth by day four. Just like he made fully grown trees on day three. Just like which came first, the chicken or the egg? That means that the light was already here on the fourth day and God just pulled it here so you don't have to wrestle against the foolproof science of creation. God put that order and predictability into the universe. And the church hasn't always handled this very well. In fact, we just passed a 400-year anniversary of how the church vilified, hated, and almost killed some scientists for declaring what the laws of nature obviously say. Not, Not many years ago. I got invited to go to a symposium and to do a little bit of training in Poland. I was in Krakow, Poland, and there was a seminar that was held on the campus of the University of Krakow in the very room where a scientist by the name of Copernicus said, hey, y'all, I'm doing the math. And the more that I do the math, it doesn't add up. So I just want to ask you, how many of you in this room have used the phrase ever in your lifetime, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west? How many of you have done that? Raise your hands. Come on, act like you own it. If you've done it, raise your hand like you've said it. No, it doesn't. Not at all. And a guy by the name of Copernicus started doing the math. One of the people that read Copernicus's research and looked at his math, a guy by the name of Galileo said, as I do the math, it doesn't look like the sun moves at all. It actually looks like the earth is moving around the sun and the earth is spinning on an axis. And as the earth spins, while we're here on earth, it looks like the sun is coming up in the east and setting in the west. But actually, that sun is standing still and we're the ones moving. And when the church heard from Copernicus... When they heard from Galileo, they threatened to kill them because this was an attack against Genesis chapter one. And they were saying, Galileo, Copernicus, why are you doing this? Because obviously we can see the sun rising in the east and setting in the west. You guys are undermining our faith. What the church should have done is said, you know what? The math checks out. Apparently, it's the earth that's moving, not the sun. And I guess God made it that way. So, church, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't be threatened by the results of science. Because everything that science can see is only provable. It's only demonstrated because God made a universe with order and predictability so that there were laws and you could do the math and figure out how stuff works. And I am a guy who is personally convinced that those stars are millions of light years away. And this universe is only about 12,000 years old and God just pulled the light here so that while we were standing on earth on day six, Adam and Eve could see those stars. And he did it to light up the earth and to bless his people. So don't get struck. Don't get frustrated. Don't let the attacks of science undermine your faith. But now let me go to point two because now we get into day five of creation, and now we start to see the stuff that God put on planet earth. Before we get there, can I remind you that God on day three made fully grown trees, fully grown bushes, and grass in the field. Why did they need to be fully grown? Because two days later, God was going to put fish in the water, and birds in the air, and animals on the land, and they need stuff to eat, so the vegetation comes first, and then we get the eagle that flies above the earth. And I'm convinced that God elevated that eagle, taught that eagle the laws of lift and drag so that that eagle could soar over our heads and he made it in such a way that that eagle on day four and day five has something to eat the first day that that eagle shows up here's what happens next in the creation account starting in verse 20. then god said let the waters swarm with living creatures And let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created a large, and so God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. Pause for just a second. This sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? Hey, doesn't every living creature... Doesn't that include the large sea creatures? Why did you decide to write the large sea creatures, Moses, and then also tell us about the every living creature? We'll talk about that in just a second. God created it all, and just like he did on day three and day four, he created it according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And then God does something unique here. First time this shows up in the Bible. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth is what God said to them. And evening came and then morning. This is the fifth day of creation. Well, at least it's the animals, or at least it's the birds and the fish part of the fifth day. What we see next is the animals and the stuff that's on dry land part of creation. Here's what I'm saying, y'all. God was busy on day five because he made not just a few birds or a few fish. He made swarms of them. And we use that word swarm. To talk about bees, when there's a whole bunch of them and they're all over the place and they're going all over the place and there's a lot of them just flying from one spot to the next. And the Bible is saying that's how many creatures that God created in the sky on day five. He made swarms of them all over the earth. But by the way, he also made swarms of animals and fish in the sea, literally mammals and fish in the sea. And Moses is using this word swarms to remind us He didn't just create a few of them right there in the Euphrates and the Tigris River, and they swam their way to the oceans. No, God filled the oceans on day five of creation. He made them all over the earth. And he made this fascinating creature. The word that Moses uses here is the sea beast or the sea uh, creatures. And actually in Moses's day, in the folklore of Moses's day, this phrase would be translated, he made the sea dragons, as well as everything else that's in the water. And I wanna ask, doesn't everything else that's in the water include those sea dragons or whatever that creature was? And I think Moses is doing this on purpose. You might be sitting there asking yourself, okay, Jeff, wait a second. Are you telling me that you believe that there are dragons down in the bottom of the ocean? No. I'm not a marine biologist. I don't really think there are dragons out there, but I do know there's junk way down at the bottom of the ocean, and it is so deep and it is so dark out there that we don't have any idea what's down in those trenches, the Marianas and the the Laurentian trenches of the Pacific Ocean. No one has any concept what's at the bottom of those trenches because it's so far down, we can't even get a look at it. I think what Moses is doing here Is he saying, you know the really big creatures that we saw in the water? And all of the people that read this say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And Moses is referring to the mammals now, the whales that are floating around in the water. He's saying, God made those. He made all of the little fish that's swimming around in the water. And he made the really big stuff that's floating around in the water. And what Moses is doing here is he's reminding us all of the stuff that's in the water. God made all of that. But he also made birds to fly in the sky. He made birds to fly in the sky and gave them aerodynamics, which means when Orville and Wilbur Wright were trying to figure out how to keep an airplane in flight right on the coast of North Carolina, they were using the same laws of science that God used when he caused that eagle to fly over your head. We're using the same laws of lift and the same laws of drag. And they were basically affirming the beauty and the greatness of God when they were putting that aircraft into flight off of the coast of, on the coast of North Carolina. Let me go back to science and faith for just a second. I think it's unfortunate, but it's only natural that scientists would struggle with faith. You see, science begins with a flawed presupposition. The idea here is that if I can't measure it, if I can't touch it, if I can't see it, then it must not be real. What we believe in the science community is what we can see, what we can measure, what we can touch. The problem with this flawed presupposition is that there are many things in the universe we can't see, we can't measure, and we can't touch, but they're absolutely real. To Let me give you an example. The uh, human emotion of love. It's not predictable. You can't measure it. Nobody can see it. But every human being that's ever walked on the planet knows that love exists. We just can't see it. We can't measure it. Even the scientists would have to admit there's something there that I can't touch, I can't see, I can't measure. But it's got to be real. Faith starts from an absolutely opposite perspective. Faith starts with the most important things in life like love or like a god that i believe in who is at work in the universe who loves me and who has given himself up for me he's every bit as real as the stuff you can see the stuff you can touch the stuff you can measure he's every bit as real you just can't see it and just because you can't see him or you can't feel him doesn't mean that he's not at work all around you And I'm trying to tell you that, of course, science is going to attack men and women of faith. It's natural. It's unfortunate, but it's natural. Because we have a faith perspective, because we look through the eyes of faith and look through the eyes of science, we have no need to be threatened. Listen, y'all, don't let the next scientific discovery disrupt. Don't let it hurt your faith. I'll even give you a very real, very present this week example of it before we're done today. See, there really is a God who loves this creation. He loves it so much in Jesus' words that he puts the birds in the air and the flowers of the field, he puts them there and he takes care of them. And the birds don't have to wonder where they're going to get their next meal from. The flowers don't have to worry about where the water is going to come from because they know that the creator of the universe is on their side. And then Jesus says it this way, if God would take care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more is he going to take care of you? So when you're worried, when you're freaking out, remember that bird that's flying over your head, it doesn't stress about food because God has got it in the palm of his hand, just like he's got you in the palm of his hand as well. You see the eagle that flies over your head, that soars over the expanse of the sky. It was put there by God. And then God also created the herds of the animals, all of the animals, the herds, the very fascinating animals, even the reptiles and the insects. God not only created them, but if you look up on the screens, he created the gazelle that gallops across the fields. He created the field itself. And according to this sentence, he created the, ga- the grass that's on the field. And any farmer, if they were honest, would tell you, I can't make crops grow. I can tend to the field. I can take care of the crops. I can help them to grow. But I can't make the sun shine and I can't make the rains fall, which means I can't make the grass on the field pop up. Only God can do that. He's been doing this since day three, and he's still doing it today. And the grass that's on the field is there so that when God creates the big herds that we read about next, they've got something to eat. Day five of creation wraps up this way. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to its kind. Three things, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to its kind. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all of the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. This is God wrapping up his work on the fifth day of creation. There's three categories of earth creatures that the Bible uses here. It talks about the great herds, the cattle is actually the word that Moses is using here. And I want you to think about those herds of caribou that are hundreds of thousands strong that roam across the plains of northern North America. I want you to think about the great herds of wildebeest that go across the savannas of Africa. God created every one of them. God cares for every one of them. And they still exist today because God's taken care of them. That's the herds, the cattle that Moses is describing here. And then Moses says he also created the stuff that crawls on the earth. We're almost certain Moses is talking about reptiles and insects right now and stuff that doesn't have legs, but it still moves across land. And then just to make sure that nothing is left out here, Moses says, and oh, by the way, All of the other stuff that's on the earth. All of the living creatures. Now we're talking about that creature with the really long nose. What's it called? Thank you. The creature with the really long neck. What's that thing called? The creature that has stripes across the back. What's that called? God created all of that stuff and he created it very specifically and he created it very special. And he made it that way. And everything that you see on earth, God made it. Now, let me just drive this home for just a second. A while back, I was walking down the hall and a group of pastors stopped me And a very random, this had nothing to do with anything. And they just stopped me in the hallway and they asked me a question, Jeff, do you believe in dinosaurs? And this question just came out of The blue, I had no idea where this came from, and it kind of shocked me. It shocked me so much that I had my mouth open for a second before I could answer them. And my answer, please listen to me, parents, is of course I believe in dinosaurs. What kind of a moron wouldn't believe that dinosaurs really existed? The evidence is overwhelming that there were dinosaurs. And then it occurred to me, by the tone of their voice, And by the way that they kind of ganged up on me to ask this question, that these pastors were struggling with whether or not dinosaurs really existed. You see, these pastors had started to believe the lie of science long enough that they started to wonder if dinosaurs lived millions and millions of years ago, then how can the earth be 10,000, 12,000 years old? And my answer to them is everything that's on the earth day five is very specific here god created it all to include the dinosaurs I told those guys listen i'm absolutely convinced that when moses or when moses is writing this he wants you to know everything even the dinosaurs god made it on day five when noah is going into the ark i am convinced that dinosaurs are going into the ark you see what i think moses is saying here is everything that you can see god made it and a whole lot of stuff you can't see i'm talking about all of those creatures that have gone extinct over time nobody in this room has ever seen a dodo bird but we all are absolutely convinced that they exist because the evidence is overwhelming and i'm trying to tell you you don't have to give in to the lie of science of course dinosaurs existed and god made them on day five and they were around for centuries or maybe thousands of years and then they died out like many other extinct creatures died out Christian, you don't have to be disrupted by the obvious results of science. If you understand the words that Moses is using here and who he's writing them to. He's writing them to people who can see with their own eyes what's going on around them. And God made them fully formed, fully grown animals. On day five, the chicken really did come before the egg, and the dinosaur really did roam the earth with Adam and Eve, and there was, no har- uh, there was perfect harmony between the two of them until sin enters into the equation. And then stuff goes south. And not just a little bit of stuff, everything goes south after creation, or, or after sin enters into the picture. I'm trying to tell you, of course that solar system is millions of light years away. But that doesn't mean that the universe is that old. That's a leap in logic. It just means that God pulled that light here so that you and I could see it on day four. Of course, there were dinosaurs roaming the earth. But that doesn't mean that the earth is millions of years old. It just means that God created them on day five, and like the dodo bird, they've gone extinct. And none of that, not one bit of it, shakes my faith. And we're talking ancient history. Now, let me bring it up to today. Actually, let me bring it up to this week. This, on the screens, is a picture of a comet. Some astronomers were looking through their big telescopes last year, and they found this comet that, is nicknamed the green comet they call it the green comet because astronomers being the highly creative people that they are they actually named this thing c slash 2022 e3 that's the name of this comet. but they were doing the math and they were looking at its orbit and i don't even understand all of this nerd math that they do but they basically said hey we're pretty sure that this comet is passing by the earth for the first time listen to this number in 50 years and if you go out into the nighttime sky this week on Wednesday or Thursday without the aid of a telescope Most people on the earth will be able to see with their own eyes the green comet at best all you need is a set of binoculars and You better go out there and see it this week because it's not going to make another lap for 50,000 years You probably are going to miss it the second time around And if you let it, science will lie to you and cause you to believe that this comet is on lap number 8, 10, 12, 100. Here's what I heard when I read this article. Oh, on day four, God put a comet out there in the sky. And God put it in such an orbit that he would cause it to pass in front of the earth in the year 2023 and his people would be able to see it. And when we look at this thing out in the nighttime sky, we would be able to say, what an amazing God we serve. What an incredible creator who put that thing in orbit a few thousand years ago and allows me to see it in the year 2023. Nothing that they say about that comet shakes my faith. If you just simply understand the words that Moses is using while you're standing on planet Earth, you can see the sky and the stars in the sky. And while you're on planet Earth, all of the stuff that's in the sea, all of the stuff that's in the air, all of the stuff that's on the ground, it's there because God put it there. Even the dinosaurs. So you got no reason to get frustrated, no reason to fight against science. Just let it affirm what the Bible is already saying to you. Now, church, I want you to know I was praying for you this week. I was praying for you because some of you in this room have been beat up by the attacks of science. And it's been this relentless barrage to try to cause you to deny what the Bible is clearly saying here. Because if you let it, science is going to say, if you can't touch it and you can't measure it, it's not real. And what Moses is saying is the reason why you can touch it, the reason why you measure it, is because God created predictability and set seasons in the universe. And I, for one, am sick and tired of watching science use the good gift of God as a weapon against him to argue against him. I'm just simply saying, you don't need to stress about it. So maybe some of you have been relentlessly attacked by science and your faith is really struggling here. If that's you, I hope that because of this sermon, you'd be able to say, hey, I really do believe God is so big that he could create those stars and pull the light here so that I could see them when Adam showed up on earth on the first day. I believe that God is so great that he made the dinosaurs hang out with Adam in the garden, and Adam even gave them names, really stupid names, but he gave them names while they were in the garden. And I'm going to let that God have control of my life and light my path. I'm going to follow him this week. Instead of following the laws of science and listening to them and allowing them to tell me how I should live my life. But I hope somebody tuned in or showed up today whose life is a mess. I hope it's broken and you've made some mistakes and sin has caused you to really, really get in a bad place. And maybe today you showed up for the first time in your life saying, I need a miracle. I need God to step in and to fix me. I need God to fix my circumstances, and I need him to change me from the inside out. In fact, I need him to create in me a good heart. And if that's you, I'm gonna pray for you. But for all of us here, we're about to take communion, and I wanna remind you, the grapes that became this juice Those grapes only exist because God created them and took care of them. The wheat that we use, well, the gluten-free stuff that we're using today, whatever that's made out of, it exists because God created it. And the proof that he loves you is what we're about to do next. Go to his table and remember that cross. Remember the blood that this juice represents. Remember the body that was broken and the perfect sinless son of God who died on that cross for you. And I hope that this communion meal is a very powerful meal where you remember your creator. So let me pray over us and then we'll get ready to prepare our hearts for communion. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.